Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three-time All-Pro linebacker for the New England Patriots. He's on TV. He's one of good guys. He walks into a club. What a coward Willie McGinnis is. Let's have a look here. Let's take a look. You're going to see McGinnis. He just walks right in here, and he and a bunch of fools just start beating the crap out of this guy. Look at this. Boom. And then they jump him. What do they think? Nobody's going to see this? So then it gets even worse. They bash him over the head with a beer bottle. They bash him. Look at these guys. I mean, what are we, the Wild West out here? This is in a nice restaurant or club, whatever the heck it is. Then they bash him over the head. Willie McGinnis, baby. What a chicken blank coward. I mean, you got a problem with a dude, and you're going to have to fight at whatever age Willie McGinnis is. Then you say, hey, let's, let's go outside. Felony assault. He'll get off, of course, and it'll be some kind of ist. That'll be said, uh, whatever the ist is. But uh, what an absolute coward Willie McGinnis is. I mean, who to thunk it? I mean, seems like a nice dude. I've had him on my TV shows. I've had him on my radio shows. I've had him on everything. Seems like a nice dude. But can you imagine walking in to a place like that? I mean, this isn't walking into the Sizzler. This isn't walking into... You know, McDonald's and throwing hands or throwing fries like a bunch of idiots do now, or jumping over the counter like Mike Tirico and I saw in Syracuse. I mean, this is a bunch of fools in a nice place, all of a sudden throwing hands. McGinnis, I hope you stay in jail for a long, long time. I hope that dude is okay. And whatever that dude did, hey, look, maybe he deserved a beating, but he didn't deserve a beating by four of you sitting there in a restaurant. That is crap. But why am I not surprised? Why, why? You literally, and I know you all feel the same way, you could show me a video of anything. There isn't anything you could show me, and we'd go, oh, man, I'm really surprised by that. Uh-oh, I'm really shocked by that. That surprised me. I just kicked the camera. Now, there's not a damn thing that you could do, nothing, zero, zip, where it would be like, oh, I'm shocked. Totally surprised. Uh-uh. All right, I am surprised by this. I have a pet peeve, and I want you to listen to me. I have a pet peeve when your quarterback or my quarterback and my team is up two scores and we got the ball and we're in the fourth quarter and we snap the damn ball with 20 seconds to go on the play clock. It drives me crazy or 10 seconds to go on the play clock. It drives me crazy. I sit there and I go, you just gave him 10 more seconds. You just gave him 20 more seconds last night. A man was magnificent. And that man's name, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers took the football with eight minutes. 
Eight minutes and 47 seconds to go in the football game. I just lied to you. 57 seconds to go in the football game. They ran it. They ran it. They threw it four for five. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Kneel down, two-yard line. The Rams never got the ball back. It was the absolute best quarterbacking I have ever seen in that situation. And I'll tell you why I say I have ever seen. Because you can't do it better. You get the ball, you're up 12. Nine minutes to go in the game. You handle it. You saw him looking. You saw it hike one second. I think one time, one time, Aaron Rodgers may have gotten a break by the officials because it looked like the play clock went to zero. One time. But other than that, he was hiking the ball on the number. And that number was either one or zero. It was unfreaking believable. And I know a lot of football coaches watch this show, and I guarantee you, you're all doing the same thing right now. You're nodding your head going, incredible. I'm up two scores. I got the ball. Hey, look, even if I go three and out, even if I do with nine minutes with a 40-second clock, are you kidding me? I can run this down pretty good if I have some sense. I watch these guys in college. I watch these guys in the NFL. They hike the ball 20 seconds to go on the play clock. And I'm like, how stupid are you? Now, I had a coach tell me once, you know, you got to be really disciplined as an offensive line to be able to hang on to it that long and not jump or flinch. But I don't know if you saw this. If you saw what Aaron Rodgers did, he wasn't bringing his team out of the huddle. He was sitting there with his hands in his in his stomach there, you know, and he was like, all right, 62XYZ slant. Great. So the guys got out there with about eight to ten seconds. Sometimes it was about five seconds. I don't know if you watched it, but it was freaking magnificent. Look, I don't know if Rodgers can make the playoff. They went up to 12.2% chance to make the playoffs by that win last night. All right. It was up from nine. Had they lost that game last night, they would have been eliminated. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, what they did last night or what he did last night was magnificent. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, three touchdowns, 197 yards from scrimmage. He finally had Dobbs. He finally had Watson. He finally had Jones. He finally had Dillon. I became a massive, 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 massive fan of Aaron Rodgers off of what he did last night. See, how do I put this right? Smart plays. You see what I'm saying here? Smart plays, smart wins, dumb loses. And we have a saying in coaching, stupid loses more than smart wins. And it's true. But occasionally, smart gets it done for you. Occasionally, a guy controls the entire game. Michael Jordan in the playoffs. I mean, whoever you want, all these different people. I can name you different guys. All right. I can name a ton of different guys. Right. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the sky hook. Magic Johnson in transit. They control the game. But last night, with nine minutes to go, whoo, okay, so now the Packers have the Dolphins, the Vikings, and the Lions. Look, they got to go to the Dolphins. They got two at home at the end. 
I don't know that the Dolphins scare anybody. I don't know that they don't. But what I do know is this. If you watched Aaron Rodgers last night, you know what you saw? You saw greatness. You saw an incredible, incredible operation down the field. And if you if you paid attention, I couldn't stop watching this. Anyway, I don't want to keep harping on something like that. But I got to tell you, it was absolutely freaking magnificent. All right. Couple of other things. Rodgers, pedestrian game. I mean, he went 22 of 30 for 221 yards. Rodgers, whatever. And I have to apologize because I said Rodgers was washed. I did. I said he was washed. His body language looked bad. He didn't look like he was into it. He was just going through the motions. Well, guess what? Those motions last night were absolutely freaking fantastic. We're going to talk to Mike Lombardi about that coming up. Again, I had a guy say, look, Dan, you got to understand, if you're going to bring your team out there and you're going to make those offensive linemen hold their stance for 15 to 20 seconds, you can't do it. Well, guess what? They didn't have to because Rodgers outsmarted everybody, period. Hey, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you, Ryan and Dylan. We have video. From yesterday, and I don't know if you guys can do this, but I want to get this in. The celebration in Argentina. The celebration in Argentina was magnificent last uh, yesterday. You got to understand how important winning a World Cup is. We've seen Grant Park with the Bulls. We've seen uh, L.A. We saw Kansas uh, with the national championship with all that kind of stuff. So I'm throwing you guys a little bit of a curveball and seeing if you guys can call up that video from Argentina because the truth of the matter is this is the biggest win in the world. Let's be honest. We call the NBA champ world champions. Well, they don't play Yugoslavia. Or not Yugoslavia. They don't play Serbia. They don't play France. They don't play Spain. Yeah, players come over. It's not a world championship. We call this Super Bowl champ world champions, right? But where else do they play football? Well, so I'm looking here. Uh, football, football, anyone, football, anybody playing football anywhere? I got a friend, Dale Speckman. Dale's the all-time leading rusher. He is. He's the all-time leading rusher in England. Football, F-O-O-T, not F-U-T. Football. Look at this. You want to see something? How good is Dylan and Ryan? How about this celebration in Argentina? How about this? This is incredible. I had Urban Meyer calling me. He wants to play a little golf this week. We're going to. Uh, is this unbelievable? Look, I would argue this. The World Cup is, and I don't even think there's a second, the most important championship in the world. And there isn't a second. Now, I think you would all agree and say, yes, the World Cup is the most important in the world. But I don't think there's a second. Like, I don't think you can say, yeah, but. You know how everything we do goes, yeah, but. Well, yeah, uh, the World Cup is great. But, yeah, but, you know, uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, but the World Series is really big. It's not the World Series. It's the American Series. It ain't. It is. It's the it's American Series. The World Series would mean, oh, we beat Japan, or we went over and beat whatever. No. This, ladies and gentlemen, 
is the best, is the biggest, and frankly, I'm going to miss it. I never thought I would say that. But I got sick last week for the semifinals. So what was it, on Tuesday? I had one semifinal. I'm sweating. I'm, you know, you get sick. I'm laying there. It's awesome. And then on Wednesday, the same thing. I'm going to miss it, just like I miss Wimbledon when it's over. I need me some sports in the afternoon. There's nothing better than some sports in the afternoon. Degenerate gamblers tell me all the time, look, one of the reasons they gamble is so they can get action in the afternoon, a random college basketball game in the afternoon. And also, speaking of college basketball, I'm going to give you my five top candidates for National Player of the Year. And I got to tell you, I never heard of two of them. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I never – well, I heard a, one was a high school kid that I knew was really good. But the other, I never heard of in my life until I watched UConn, until I watched some of these teams. So we're going to be the absolute go-to place for college basketball. But I'm going to give you that. Hey, look, Emma Joe Morris is going to join us at 10 o'clock. I don't know what to tell you. But this woman is under attack by the FBI. These Twitter files, she is the one. They started a series at the New, uh, New York Post. Uh, what, I want to make sure I, I have it right here. It's called The Laptop from Hell. And if you paid any attention to these Twitter files that have been being released, oh, my God. Like, it's unbelievable the difference. It's unbelievable what the federal government was doing to try to squelch Emma Joe Morris and her, her her people. Now, I put this thing out earlier today, and what do you get? Instead of getting, wow, that's really horrible. I mean, FBI agents are pretty much trading uh, Taylor Swift concert, true story, Taylor Swift concert tickets because uh, Twitter idiots, the guys running Twitter, well, they went along and squelched these stories. It's the damnedest thing. So what is the reaction to it? I'll give you the reaction. Here's one reaction. Guy owns a coffee shop, right? Guy owns a coffee shop, and he says, seriously, coach, no one GAF about this. You quit local sports talk so you can post this crap? Interview with a clown from a clown publication with some other clown's laptop and videos mocking the president of the United States. This is what makes you proud? Yes. This is why I came here. Yes. Hey. Easiest thing in the world is to talk about a ball going through a basket. You kidding me? I want to be involved. Mike Lombardi, you got me? I got you. I sure do, Dan. You're involved. Let's do it. Hey, Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. I talked about this earlier. Nine minutes to go in the game. Aaron Rodgers was magnificent running that clock down, Mike. It is a pet peeve of mine. I got a two-score lead, and my quarterback's hiking the ball with 20 seconds on the play clock. How difficult or easy is it to do what Aaron Rodgers did last night, controlling the clock for nine minutes? Well, it takes experience. It takes, you know, somebody training them, understanding what game management is. Uh, you know, it's not hard. It's not complicated. It's mathematics, right? And so every second is valuable. We see it all the time in the NFL. And, you know, for a guy who, you know, I mean, all I hear Saturday talk about is how, you know, he's played with great players. He's an experienced guy. You know, he's been around Hall of Fame players. You know, he's seen a lot of things, but obviously he didn't see that because I tweeted out at halftime. 
The Colts are 12 first downs away from winning the game, and they shouldn't snap the ball before one second on the play clock. And, you know, they got six first downs in the entire second half, and we're snapping the ball with 20 seconds. I was paying attention. See, one of the biggest misconceptions about football is is we never equate the time in the game to how many plays are left, okay? Like for all the technology we have and for all the analytical people that talk about the game, there should be a code next to the time clock, okay? When Robert Salai doesn't call timeout after his quarterback got sacked with 148 to go in the game, the fans should be able to see that he gave away six plays by not calling that timeout. See, when you don't call a timeout, you, you lose time, but nobody equates it to how many plays. And for Jeff Saturday, it was about how many plays he was giving to the Vikings. It's amazing you say that because I was losing my mind with the Colts doing that. Losing, you're up 33. You can damn, I equate it to, you can go to the four corners, Dean Smith back in the 70s. You can run this bad boy out and go three and out and have no problem. I feel like, Mike, Saturday has been a disaster. I'm curious your thoughts. Oh, he's a complete disaster. He has no experience. I mean, and then at the press conference, he says, well, we just didn't make any plays. You know, we got to make plays. <laughs> Jeff, you didn't make any plays to get the 33 to nothing lead. Let's put that in perspective. You know, Kirk Cousins threw you a pick six that was horrendous right to the guy's chest. You blocked the punt for a touchdown. They turned it over once on downs, once on a fake punt, uh, which was ridiculous. So you're up 20 points. Did you make any plays at that point? Of course you didn't. He doesn't understand how he got there. If you don't understand how you got there, how are you going to get the hell out? I mean, it was a disaster of epic proportion. I said this to, to many people in the league. They could have flown Bill Parcells in at halftime from Jupiter, Florida, in the Minneapolis airport. Got him in the game without knowing one play call, offense, defense, or the kicking game. He would have won the game for the Colts. He would have won the game for the Colts. I, I, you know what I said? I said you could have put a bag of sand out there, and they would have won the game for the well, Colts. Just snap the ball with a second to go. Well, I mean, look, you know, somebody's got to understand it, you know. But you know, for the problem you have with Saturday is, look, and I'm not anti ex-players becoming coaches. I'm anti-guys not having an apprenticeship. I mean, the one thing about world-class chess is you have to go become a grandmaster before you get to play the best players. Like, you have to serve an apprenticeship. Give Drew Brees credit. Drew Brees is volunteering his time at Purdue to learn how to become a coach. God, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. That's great. Because it's such a different – it's different from being a player to being a coach. And this isn't about, you know, I played the game so I know the game. There's a lot more to it than that. You can ask any ex-player who's now a coach. It's a harder challenge. And I think that ultimately, because he has this attitude that he knows that he doesn't really need any help. Like, he needs a lot of help. He needs a lot of help on game day. He needs a lot of help during the week. Like, this is not an easy job. It's a harder job to get than the United States senator. It makes it really difficult. There's $800 million in wasted money by the owners because they can't find people that can do the job. Mike, let me stay with the Colts for a second. $148 million in quarterbacks since 18. Quarterback misses. Epic collapses going back to last year. Does Jimmy Ursay trust Chris Ballard enough to give him a fourth head coach? 
Well, I, I think he's got to. I think what Jimmy Ursay has to do is find alignment. I think that's his biggest issue right now. And he doesn't have alignment. And the reason he doesn't have alignment is because we know he was talking a Saturday. Okay. When owners are talking to people that are outside the building, talking to outside consultants, yes. there's not an alignment in the building. And for you to win in the National Football League, you need complete alignment. You need complete alignment. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to definitely make mistakes, but you need alignment. And if you don't have alignment, you can't win. So let's just play this out. Let's say he gets rid of Chris Ballard and he brings somebody else in and he and he doesn't keep Saturday as the coach. You think the new coach is going to wonder who he's talking to on the phone? Because he's going to be talking to Saturday. He's going to be Saturday's still going to be involved. So now you're watching that chat. They're watching that shadow loom over your head. So it's challenging. Until he gains alignment, until Jimmy Ursay decides, okay, here's what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it. You're going to make mistakes. Look, the quarterback market, you can criticize Ballard. Uh, he knows he's made mistakes on the deals. The reality of it is, is you've got to keep trying to find it. I mean, Pete Carroll kept digging. He signed, traded for Charlie Whitehurst, signed Matt Flynn. Oh, he drafts Russell Wilson in the third round. He hit, got a Super Bowl. You got to keep throwing stuff against the wall. Look, it's not easy to find quarterbacks. This isn't a one-stop shopping finding quarterbacks. Look at all the quarterbacks that are blown picks. Mike, I, I'm going back to something. Talking about what you're talking about with alignment. Brad Stevens and I are friends. I asked Brad after their two runs with Butler to the national championship game. Give me a key that maybe people don't know. You know what he said? said exactly what you said. He goes, Dan, everybody in our athletic department, everybody in Hinkle Fieldhouse, everybody in all of the buildings is pushing in the same direction. We don't have anybody pulling against us, and that might be the biggest key that there is. To your point, if I'm coaching, I'm wondering, hey, who in the hell are you talking to? Talk to me. I don't need you talking to Saturday or Peyton or any of these other guys about important stuff within the team, Mike. That is huge. It's the most critical thing. It's why Bill Walsh in 1984 told me, he said, when I was running around the draft room like a chicken without a head my first year, I was 25 years old. And he says to me, what are you worried about? And I said, well, the Falcons did this and this team did that. He said, look, we're only competing against eight teams. There's really only eight teams that have a culture. But what I didn't realize then, culture meant alignment. Culture means alignment. When you have everybody aligned, when there's one voice, when there's one, when they're all pushing, when everybody understands their job and there's total alignment and people are doing their job well, then you can win. But 90% of the teams in the league, the reason there's $800 million on the street to fail the failed coaches is because there is an alignment and no one's helping the coaches coach. Like Philadelphia's hired two coaches in the last two times. Doug Peterson, who never really called plays in Kansas City, wasn't going back to Kansas City. They hired him as their head coach, and they developed him. They worked hard to develop him to become a head coach, and he was a good listener. And then all of a sudden, when he didn't want to listen, they, they had a parting of the ways. They bring in Sirianni, who wasn't ready to be a head coach, but they developed him into a head coach because they have organizational alignment, and they can develop players, and they can develop coaches. That's the mark of an organization. We lack that in the NFL, and the Colts don't have that right now. There's not alignment. There is not alignment because it's hard to get coaches to understand alignment. They don't see it either. They want to run their scheme. They want to run this. They want to do that. And they're worried about losing their job. And if they don't win right away, all of a sudden it's going to fall apart. Mike, you mentioned back when Bill Walsh and you were a young kid, he said there were nine contenders with eight, culture. Eight, Dan. Eight, 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 I'm sorry. 
How, how many are, do you see now in the NFL out of 32? I, well, that was when, when he told me that there were only 28. <laughs> and, and now there's 32, so I'll stick with the eight number. I used to have T-shirts made when I was in Cleveland. We better be one of the eight, you know? And so that's the fact. you got to be one of the eight. And how do you get there? You know, how do you get there? You get there from total alignment. You think the Arizona Cardinals are one of the eight? They don't have anywhere near alignment. They, the, the, their head coach is going to take the ball for it, but they're signing a quarterback who's got two more years left on a deal who wasn't playing good because the general manager wanted to sign it. There was a total alignment in that. There couldn't have been. You think everybody was aligned? No, of course not. It's a challenge to get alignment in the NFL. It's really hard. And the bigger these organizations become, the harder it gets to be get alignment. What I'm gonna, I'm, I would again, I could be wrong, but I'm looking at Andy Reid and I'm looking at Kansas City, and I know they've got the stud quarterback, but there, there seems to be an alignment there. Uh, are they one of your teams, and are they the favorite in the oh. AFC? Oh, there's complete alignment in Kansas yeah. City. I mean, they have a quarterback because they have alignment. Because look, they got Alex Smith playing. And they see this kid Mahomes, and they're aligned to knowing they have to improve. See, a lot of coaches would say, "Well, we got Alex Smith. Why do we need to change quarterbacks? You know, we got him. He's good. You know, I don't want to really. I don't want to push the envelope. I don't want to work extra hard. We got a chance to get Mahomes. Let's go get him." And then they stayed with alignment, and they redshirt Mahomes. How many? How many organizations would have been able to do that? Just we're going to play Smith. Mahomes going to stand over here, and nobody's going to complain about it. Nobody's going to not speak outside the box. There's total alignment there. There's total alignment, and they're certainly the favorite. They got to play better defense. I mean, last week they gained over 500 yards. They fumbled too many times. They held the Texans to 20, 270 yards or, or 220 yards, and yet the game goes to overtime because they made mistakes. They were beating themselves, not, and the Texans weren't beating them. Mike, how big a deal is this with Jalen Hurts being out a little bit? I wrote about it today for VEASAN.com online. I, I, I don't think it's very bad at all. I think he's got a sprained shoulder, and I think he's definitely going to miss this week's game. I think there's no doubt. The line went from one and a half up to six immediately, which tells you he's not playing. The line, you know, one thing about Vegas, they don't move that line because they're taking a chance, right? They're, they're pretty accurate. So they moved it to six. I don't think he'll play next week against New Orleans either. I think they're smart to err on the side of caution. Look, they need one more win to clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They're not going to play anybody in that giant game if they don't have to. So they're going to have this. So he'll end up with almost a month of, of time to heal himself. He's fine. I mean, he landed on the frozen field in Soldier Field, you know, and hurt himself. He threw a great pass even after it was sprained. So this isn't 17 where they lose Carson Wentz to an ACL and all of a sudden the world's going to fall apart. You know, this guy's going to come back and Minshew's a really good backup. I mean, Minshew can come in. Now they'll change what they do offensively. They won't be a six back run team. There'll be more of a rhythm passing team, and Minshew will play well. What do you see what's happening with the Tennessee Titans? What's going on there? I think they lack talent. I think they don't lack – I mean, the reason <laughs> the general manager got fired is because they haven't drafted well. I mean, Rabel's been compensating for a lack of talent. I mean, they have no skill players that can make explosive plays other than Derrick Henry. You know, their offensive line has not played very well. The left tackle is a backup. I mean, they haven't been very good up front. And defensively, the strength is in their defensive front and their safeties. And so when teams control the ball, I mean, to hold the, the Chargers to 17 points was a great achievement. But they just couldn't muster enough big plays. And it's very challenging for them. They have to play perfectly to win. They're just not good enough. You don't have as many holes in drafts 
as they've had over three or four years. It's like the Raiders. The Raiders have all these holes in their draft, and people expect them to be this great team. You don't go through the fourth pick in the draft that doesn't play. You don't have three first-rounders that really aren't on the team. You don't have two first-rounders that aren't on the team anymore and think you're good. You can't be that way. And so Tennessee, Rabel is compensated for it. I mean, winning seven games with that outfit, I wrote back in back in September that Jacksonville was the most talented team in the AFC South. It wasn't close. Now, they made a lot of mistakes. They kind of mismanaged some games early. But the quarterback got better, and now he's playing at a high level. Uh, Mike, last thing uh, before I let you go. I, I, I got to ask you, from a general manager's perspective, um, it came out, this is way back, that Ryan Grigson was going to draft Russell Wilson in the third round, even though that he had – uh, Andrew Luck. All of a sudden, you got all these quarterbacks. Yeah, John Lynch goes ahead and drafts this Purdy kid last. From a general manager's standpoint, good business always to take a flyer on a guy you kind of like. Uh, you got to take a quarterback that fits your system. The problem with drafting quarterbacks is nobody fits the nobody fills in the sentence. Once we draft them, what offense are we going to run? What are we going to run when we get them? Does he fit what we do? Purdy fits exactly what they need in San Francisco. He's accurate, he's athletic, and he's smart. He's not the most talented player. He's not the fastest player. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He's different than Trey Lance, and so he can run the offense. The reason they drafted Trey Lance, everybody was telling us, is because they had to change their offense. They don't have to change their offense. Their offense is really good. Nobody's caught up to Kyle's offense. It's really good. The problem is Lance doesn't fit their offense. So you've got to draft the guy that fits what you do because when you put him out there and he looks good, so many teams are void of quarterbacks that you'll end up getting high compensation. It's what Ron Wolf did in, in, in Green Bay. He got a huge trade for Hasselback, got, got a trade for, for uh, Mark Brunel. I mean, when you do that and you scout inside out to get the quarterback, you have a chance, but most teams can't do that. Should Jordan Love ask for a trade? What should happen there? What should happen? Well, I mean, they got, they, once, they paid, once they paid Aaron Rodgers, which they should have paid, I mean, look, let, let's put things in perspective. Matt LaForce won 45 games now as of last night. Do you think he'd win 45 games if he was coaching the Tennessee Titans with their team? Of course he wouldn't. Rodgers put those 45 wins on the table. Whatever you think of him, I don't care what people think of him. He's a great, great talent. He's tremendous. He's the reason they win there. And so when they gave him that extension, which they certainly should have, you know, they basically said, Jordan, you're not coming back. I mean, you're going to have to trade it. Now, what they can get for him in terms of value, I don't know. Because I don't know, I haven't seen him play. I haven't seen him practice. You know, I don't know what he'll look like. But when Nathaniel Hackett went to went to Denver, he wasn't trying to trade for Jordan Love. That tells me something right there. They traded for Russell Wilson. They could have probably gotten Jordan Love for a lot cheaper if they thought he was going to be great. What the hell's happened to Russell Wilson, Mike? Like a lot of guys, when you know, you know, it's I, I equate it to Allen Iverson. You know, when you're a smaller guy like Iverson, right? And you lose that explosive first step and you lose that ability to want to go in there and deal with contact and get beat up. And all of a sudden your body starts to break down. You're not the same player. You can't compensate because you're undersized. Russell's not a big man. And he, and he lost some quickness and he doesn't want to get hit as much. You know, last year he ran for 183 yards, which was the, to the, the lowest total he's ever rushed for in his career. He doesn't want to get hit as much. You know, quarterback sneak it. No one to get hit, doesn't, can't escape like he used to escape, and doesn't make the Russell Wowmy plays. It's really not that complicated. It used to be when I first got in the league at 36 years old, most quarterbacks were at the end of their careers. And because of Brady and because of the nutrition and because of all the things that have occurred, 
We think they can go on forever. But when you're undersized and you can't see from the pocket and you lose a step here and a step there, it shows up. Like last thing before I let you go, um, I want to go back to alignment. And I want to go to the Cowboys. Cowboys are an interesting deal here. Where are they in the scheme of alignment or in the thought of alignment? Well, they're aligned because their owner is that runs the team. The players know they work for the owner. That's a hard thing to overcome. That's a hard thing to overcome. If Mike McCarthy doesn't like a player and Jerry likes him, the player is going to be on the team. I've lived in that. I spent 10 years at the Raiders. It's hard to have alignment when, when the owner controls the players, when, when everybody works for the – now, everybody works for the owner. Technically, we all do. But the players have to fear the head coach that they can lose their job. Fear does the work of reason. And when the players don't fear that the coach could fire them, it's hard to reason with the players. Now, they've got a good system down there. They're very talented. They've got some really good, good leaders on their team so they can overcome it. But when push comes to shove, are they going to be able to do it when it matters? I don't think so. But how good is Dak Prescott? I mean, legitimately, how good is this guy? I think he's like a lot of players, Dan. They have to be managed correctly, Right. Like we all think quarterbacks, you just the great quarterbacks, just throw the ball out there and, and do it. When Steve Young was at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he looked like crap. You know, he was at the LA Express, he didn't look very good. But once he got to once he got to San Francisco, when I picked him up at the airport and everybody was laughing because he was six feet tall, Walsh put them in the system and developed his skills within the system. And then he became a Hall of Famer. Then he became a Hall of Famer. Well, that's most quarterbacks, Hall of Fame included, need to be in the right system. And they need to be managed correctly. And that's really what Dak is. He's going to make some mistakes, but he's not an elite talent. He's not just roll the ball. He's not John Elway. He's like a lot of great players in the league. you got to be managed. they got to run the right system. you got to set up the offense correctly for them. And the players around them have to enhance them. Tom Brady hasn't lost any skills. But what Tom Brady doesn't have is the team around them that fits his style. And now it makes Brady look bad. Mike, you brought it, man. I appreciate you. You always do. I love your stuff on Visit. Love watching you. And uh, always a pleasure when you come on, man. That was some great, great stuff. You got me fired up for the rest of the day, Mike. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. That is Mike Lombardi. My man brought it, and he brought it strong right there. Our fists are flying and so fine. Jalen Hurts may or may not play. I'm going to give you my five candidates. For player of the year in college basketball, Emma Joe Morris, you got to listen to this interview coming up at 10 o'clock. I mean, uh, you talk about somebody under attack by our government for just simply, just simply telling the truth. I don't know. We'll play the video of Willie McGinnis again when we come back so you can see this. This is the most amazing thing. Willie McGinnis, the former Patriot, just walks into a club or a restaurant. I don't know. It's old school. And just starts beating this guy with his buddies, hitting him over the head. Uh, if you haven't seen it, we'll get it to you when we come back. We'll come right back with that, Ryan. Uh, and Dylan, I want to keep playing that. This dude needs to be in jail for a long time. What are we doing? Be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. 
The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, this is one of the darndest things I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Willie McGinnis, I, we played this earlier, but i got to tell you, I can't get enough. He, you're going to see this from TMZ. This looks like a restaurant. I don't know if it's a club or a restaurant. I don't know, but you're going to see McGinnis right there. Uh, three-time Pro Bowl, big old strong dude. They confront a dude, and right now, boom! My man just starts swinging on this guy, sitting down. Now, think about this. You're sitting there, and you've done something stupid, apparently, that you know is going to blank off Willie McGinnis. We get that. But I don't think you're anticipating getting the crap beat out of you when you're just sitting in a restaurant. And then, of course, his fellas come in, and like most cowards, they start hitting and kicking and breaking a beer bottle. You know, my wife had to break a beer bottle over someone's head because they came in and they attacked her brother in a bar in Toledo. She said she looked and her brother was holding up a chair as these guys were coming at him. And Lee thought you just hit a guy over the head with a beer bottle and it breaks. But apparently, Lee, it doesn't break. They don't break. Oh, Statue of limitations over. Anyway, so McGinnis and his idiots, uh, these cowards, they come in and they're going to beat the crap out of this guy. Next thing you know, Willie McGinnis is in jail in L.A. And he is facing a felony, which he should face a daggone felony. Of course, he should face a felony. He should face many felonies. Just stay in jail for 10 years. You just don't do that. Look. If two guys have a complaint, you want to go outside and be idiots, go ahead. Go outside and be idiots. You don't jump a guy in a restaurant. What is wrong with people? Every time I go to a restaurant, do we got to worry about someone jumping somebody? We already got dogs in restaurants like we're in some third world country. What the hell are we doing? What are we doing? That's a big saying of mine. What are we doing? All right, let's get back to Deportes. Uh, Jalen Hurts, you just heard Mike Lombardi talking about it. Jalen Hurts is the most valuable player in the league. The Eagles are, by all accounts, the best team in the league. Nick Sirianni has done a great job coming over from the Colts as the offensive coordinator, or I don't know, maybe Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator, but Nick Sirianni comes over and the Eagles are very good. But you know, like Mike Lombardi just said, here it comes. Jalen Hurts gets knocked onto the frozen ground in Soldier Field, where the ground is like from 1962. I mean, the Parks Department, this is a true story. The Parks Department, not the Chicago Bears, runs Soldier Field. Now, I just want you to imagine with the Jack Blankery of Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, who is over the Parks Department because she is the mayor. Can you imagine the mess they had on a weekly basis getting that place ready for football? No, I couldn't imagine. But anyway, so the field is tough. He gets on his shoulder. He's going to miss this week, probably next, and then maybe even a third to get ready for the playoffs. I liked what Mike Lombardi said. Look, it's not that big of a deal. He should be okay. Good. Um, Here's why I like Indianapolis. I want all you Indy people to pay attention to this. Generally, when you go to a Colts game, generally, you don't have to fight your way out. Generally, you basically go to the game, you hang out, and nobody bothers you. Maybe, you know, you meet somebody or somebody's from another team and 
But SoFi Stadium, apparently, is where people go to fight. Let's show. Let's go one by one. Let's go one and then let me comment on it. And then we'll go another and let me comment on it. But we've got some video here. Uh, for whatever the reason, people deciding to throw hands at football games. Let's see what we got here. Absolutely lovely. Go get them. I thought we were supposed to be, I don't know. I thought we were supposed to be chill in California. I thought we were supposed to be like, hey, relax, baby. The Grateful Dead, Bill Walton, Hermosa Beach. What are we talking about? I thought we were just supposed to be, I don't know. Cool. I mean, very, very cool. But instead, we're throwing hands. We got the biggins out there. They're throwing stuff. Next thing you know, the cops or whatever those people are, uh, and we start throwing more hands. The whole throwing hands thing at football games, like, what do you do when you get home? Seriously. Uh, honey, honey, um, what'd you do today? Well, I went to the football game. Oh, yeah, how was it? Everything good? Uh, yeah, uh, everything's good, but I got arrested and I, I fought some big gal. She was throwing things and I thought, well, it would be appropriate for me to, you know, fight the biggins. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go shopping. Oh, okay. Let's check this next one out. Here we go. Look at these two. All right. We're pushing, we're talking hands. We got our... Oh, boy. Boom. Down goes everybody. Boom. Boom. Why are we messing with number 10? Like, what are we doing? Look at these idiots. Everybody's pushing. They got their little raiders. He makes a little lunge. Boom. Down he goes. Next guy comes in. Down he goes. I don't know what to tell you. And he just swinging. There is not. Oh, and here we go. Look at these guys. This looks like Willie McGinnis and his buddies. Beers are being thrown. Punch. Look at the guy in the back in the white just throwing beer. Look at the guy on the left. They're throwing. Everybody's just throwing hands. Can somebody explain to me why you go to a football game, you dress up, and then you got to throw hands? Look at these. 
Just keep your eye. I mean, it is unbelievable to me. Hey, look, I don't want to throw hands at anybody. I don't want anybody throwing hands at me. But my God, what? 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 I like this, ladies and gentlemen. I like Bo Nix. I don't know why I like Bo Nix, but I like Bo Nix. Bo Nix announced that he is returning for his 20th year in college at Oregon. Remember Bo Nix played at um, Auburn and transferred, and he's going to be the front runner for the Heisman. All right, here's the problem. The Bo Nix is staying. All right, Bo Nix, though, it's a residual effect. Five-star recruit, Dante Moore. He has committed to UCLA. He has decommitted from Oregon. He's the highest-rated quarterback to commit to the Bruins in the modern recruiting area. Why? Well, because Bo Nix. Bo Nix decided that he's going to stay. And look, I don't know. Uh, I looked at a picture of the kid, Dante Moore, and he looks very cool. Cool is for the club. I hope he's good. I hope he's really good. I think he's good. But the truth of the matter is, Bo Nix staying is good for college football. I don't know if Bo Nix is any good. He's 27 years freaking old. But he's got a chance. Um, he's got a chance to set a bunch of records. He's got a chance to do some really good things. And let's be honest, if you're playing football at Oregon, you're probably, probably, probably uh, making a lot of money. He counted for 3,893 yards, 41 touchdowns, 27 passing, 14 rushes. They went. Nine and three. Uh, they're going to play North Carolina in the bowl game. And Bo Nix is back. And I am here for it. I'm here for all these guys being back. I am. I'm here for everybody being back. I want every good player back. I want every good player playing college football because I like playing. I like watching college football. All right. Chris Light is the new CEO of CNN, he is, quote, stunned by the uninformed left-wing vitriol that is spreading to him. Now, let me, let me give this to you. I'm going to read a few things for you. He became the CEO of CNN last year, uh, earlier this year. And he has been surprised, ladies and gentlemen, by the uninformed vitriol directed at him from liberals as he attempts to shift the network's editorial direction in a series of interviews with the New York Times. This is for the Indianapolis Star right here. Here it is. And your newspaper and my friend Greg Doyle and everybody that writes because this is all you got right here. This is it. Listen here. The uninformed vitriol, especially from the left, has been stunning, which proves my point. So much of what passes for news is name-calling, half-truths, and desperation. Hello, Indy Star. Hello, Greg Doyle. <laughs> Look, I know. 
that when my name is in the Indy Star, there was, at least on Facebook, there were two articles in one day. One was about me being a bad guy, and one was about who's going to be the new coach of uh, the Colts. I'm gonna, I may send this to you guys. Um, one had 505 uh, comments, like 50-some shares. Me. The other head coach of the Colts, about 30 comments, one share. Desperation, half-truce, name-calling. Oh, is he right? So this guy, L-I-C-H-T Light, shook up the network's morning program. He got rid of Don Lemon. And in getting rid of Don Lemon, of course, Don Lemon said it was a promotion. I don't know what this guy is going to end up doing. I don't know what this guy is going to end up being. I don't know if every news network is going to shift and get back to simply covering the news in an unbiased way. But I do know this. This man who is running CNN wanted the network to offer a rational conversation about polarizing issues, which I feel we do here. He hoped that viewers would take what they've heard to the dinner table and have a discussion. That's what he wants. That is what it should be. That's exactly what it should be. All I can tell you is go woke, go broke. Get woke, get broke, however you want to say it. But the beauty, and it could not have been summed up any better, the uninformed vitriol, especially from the left, this is the head of CNN, has been stunning, which proves my point. So much of what passes for news is name-calling, half-truths, and desperation. If I were the Indy Star, I'd write an article on me every day. There's your desperation. We got to get somebody to read our crap. We do. And it's the same thing in every city. Every city has somebody that they should write an article every single day. There is. And it's amazing to me. All right. I have not watched Top Gun Maverick. I have not. But let's show a little bit, or I don't know if we have the video of it, but Tom Cruise is thanking fans for their support of Top Gun Maverick by free-falling through the sky in a newly shared video. Do we have the video? I don't know if we do or not. Everyone, but here he is. Here we are over sunny South Africa, and we're filming Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and 2. And I didn't want the year to end without thanking you all for coming out to the theater. And thank you for supporting Top Gun Maverick. Hey. Hey, kids, this is Corey. Hi, Hi, director. Hi, everybody. Hey. Thank you. Hey, uh, listen, we really got to roll. We got to get this shot. Oh, yeah, we're filming. We got to get this shot. All right. Are you coming? Not on your life. Good luck. Okay. We'll see you down there. Whoa. Where was I? Oh yeah, thank you for supporting Top Gun Maverick. As always, thank you for allowing us to entertain you. It truly is the honor of a lifetime. Yeah. 
let me ask you a question. I'm going to the YouTube chat for this one. Is there anything about any of you that wants to skydive? Anything. Like, is there, like, I have a morbid, and I don't know if morbid's the right word, but I have an insane fear of heights, like an insane fear, like a holy crap. I saw a picture that was on the internet of a lady on the edge of a rock and her husband and the rock is like 2000 feet in the air. And her husband is like, Hey, go, go down a little bit as he takes a picture. I got freaking scared in my legs. Like I got nauseous looking at this. Ryan Mueller says, Oh no. Oh, F no. Uh, Connie Harris. Hell no. Uh, Spice rack says I won't watch the movie and hell will freeze over. Before I skydive, sad boy hours, says moron. Jennifer, my friend, says, no, thanks. I'm scared of falling. Sean Paris, hell no. I'm scared of heights, 20-inch D-dubs. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mike Bennett said this accurately, and I'm going to go with Mike. He said, Tom Cruise goes after it on every single roll. And you and I, Lee, were talking about this last night. And Tom Cruise, there's some video of Tom Cruise doing, showing all the stuff that he does. So I am all in on Tom Cruise. I'll tell you who else I'm all in on. We had a chance the other day, uh, not the other day, but a month or two ago, or a month ago, to interview a woman that named Emma Jo Morris. And I got to tell you, it was freaking awesome. It was absolutely awesome. It was the best interview, the most interesting interview that I've ever done. But you got to understand, for, you know, whatever, 15 years, I'm used to interviewing coaches going, well, you know, I'm really proud of my players. I thought they played really hard. I thought this woman has the hard drive of Hunter Biden in her freaking hotel or not her hotel, her apartment. This woman, now it has come out, had the FBI after her and her peeps by getting Twitter to lie about her. And then I read something about like tickets to a Miley Cyrus concert or something. Or It's the damnedest thing you're ever going to hear. I can't wait. You shouldn't wait. And by the way, uh, yes, this coming interview, ladies and gentlemen, people that dislike me all across, is exactly why I left when given a choice, a choice that you could either stay without kick or you can stay with the 14-year run that I had as the number one midday radio host in America. I chose OutKick because of interviews like this, talking to interesting, important people. I had enough of talking to the basketball coach that said, well, you know, I taught my big guys to make a buck." Emma Joe Morris next. Go tell your friends, round them up, get in front of a TV. This is like the moon landing talking to her right now. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, all you got to do is right now go to at Emma Joe NYC, the wild child of right wing media, uh, politics editor at Breitbart. She was with the New York Post. They had they had the laptop from hell series. All right. I got to ask all this stuff goes down and we're going to get into all of it. But your last tweet two hours ago. Hi, feds. Mm-hmm. What's that? What is that? I'm just saying good morning to Twitter. because based on what your life has been and based on what the twitter files that elon musk is releasing there was a time when twitter was the feds and the feds were twitter yeah definitely like recently yeah so basically like what the twitter files revealed and you know, we were just talking over the break. You were like, were you even shocked? And I'm like, no, actually, yeah, I was. This is so much worse than I could have imagined. Like, basically, what we learned yesterday was that um, not only was the FBI kind of having a hand in censorship, which we kind of had a hunch about, and we had some information about that. But what we learned was that it was like a symbiotic relationship where you had Twitter stacked with FBI agents, like internally. And then you had FBI agents externally, obviously trying to influence Twitter. But like, for instance, Jim Baker is a senior, former senior FBI agent, a senior counsel at the FBI, and he goes on to be deputy counsel at Twitter. So you have Yoel Roth is another character that we've seen his name a lot. He is one of the chief censors at Twitter. He's the head of trust and safety. So the FBI approaches Yoel Roth. Um, presumably he was one of the points of contact. Yul Roth, you know, what do you do if the FBI comes to you? You go to your lawyer. So Yul Roth goes to his Twitter lawyer, who is Jim Baker, and says, hey, do I talk to the FBI? And Jim Baker is also the FBI. And he says, yes. And it's like, so not only was the FBI in contact with Twitter, but Twitter is also the FBI. It's pretty, I mean, it's wild stuff. You can't write this stuff. I mean, this is not what I was expecting. And what we learned yesterday is just so over the top, especially when you think of it like, okay, you know, maybe somebody could say, well, Twitter is all a public platform. So everything you put on Twitter is public and feds can read that and whatever, except that Twitter also has privacy settings. So uh, an account can be locked if they don't want their tweets to be public, if they only want to share it, let's say with certain people, which you have the right to do. You know, you also have DMs. Some people write DMs to each other and talk about whatever, and it's all private. It's like sending a text message or what we thought it was. Um, And if you have members of the FBI with total free reign and total access to this, it's not only the public platform that they're guiding, which is hugely significant, obviously, because Twitter's user base has outsized influence. You have, you know, it's preferred by editors, let's say, who decide what goes on the front page of newspapers and how things are framed. So you have an outsized influence of users. But then you also have all this privacy stuff that is kind of like, Okay, so now we know that not only was the FBI guiding public conversation, but they also had access to all of your private information. I have people say, I put out your article with Breitbart today, 
And I have people say, Dan, nobody cares. And my answer to nobody cares is, okay, if nobody cares, then why did the FBI and Twitter do it? If it wasn't important, why do it? Well, that's it. Obviously, it's important. And Twitter is kind of part of your everyday life or or it's part of the background. So, you know, maybe you don't interact with Twitter. Maybe you don't have a Twitter account. But the editor of the newspaper where you get your news does and the editor of the newspaper where you get your news is influenced and gets their ideas for framing and even just what is newsworthy from Twitter. So, you know, part of the reason why this was so egregious with the laptop from hell is that in in censoring it, it not only censored it off Twitter, but it also disparaged the work and it made the work kind of look like it could be suspicious or maybe even criminal. Um, and that had an influence on the rest of legacy media who uses Twitter as kind of like, you know, their IV of information to say, uh, I'm actually not going to report on this because there might be something illegal with it or it might be not true or, you know what I mean? Like, the censorship is one thing, but in censoring, you disparage the work and you attack its credibility um, tacitly. And that was what was also really damaging was then you had legacy media, you had CNN, the New York Times, NPR, uh, Huffington Post, all of the outlets, basically big and small, especially small in CNN's case, um, deciding that this was Russian disinformation. Where did they get that line? They got it from Twitter. Where did Twitter get that line? From the FBI. You have no use. I could tell this the first last time when I spoke to you. You have no use for Jim Baker. Yeah, no, uh, nobody does. Jim Baker is, as far as I'm concerned, I want to be careful with my language because this is a family show. But <laughs> Jim Baker is is a central problem. And he has been for many years. Jim Baker didn't just wasn't born and went to work at Twitter. Jim Baker has been a spy and an agent of disinformation, like actually, for years. And Jim Baker has been at the center of scandal for years, fake scandals for that matter. Jim Baker was the central casting of the Russia hoax. So this isn't Jim Baker's first run around the block of messing with your head in order to manipulate your political system. This is Jim Baker's full-time job, and it, it, and he's very experienced at it. And this scumbag just went from the FBI to Twitter and, and continued his kind of like op or whatever he's doing from there. Um, and, and, you know, all these people are like, oh, Twitter is a private company. They can censor. Well, what this showed was actually, no, they're not. Um, Twitter is an arm of the federal government. When when you see what happened here, and you mentioned Yoel Roth, mm -hmm. uh, and you put a tweet out where you said, hey, look, you might want to get your lawyer. Unfortunately, the lawyer is the FBI. <laughs> Will you, the Twitter files have not been covered by legacy media, okay? Will they be? Will this be a big deal? And do people like Roth and maybe Jim Baker have to lawyer up? Will they face charges in your mind eventually? Well, okay. That's a two-part question. The media I'll take first. They're in a very precarious position because every step that they take on this digs them deeper and deeper and deeper. Because on the one hand, they said that the laptop from hell was not a story. In fact, NPR literally put out a statement by their managing editor saying that we won't waste our readers' time with a story that's not a story. And that was a sentiment among all of mainstream media, that it's not a story. Okay, so they can't really cover the laptop from hell, um, just the content-wise, because they, they spent all of the month before the election when I published it saying that it's not a story. Okay, why did they say that? Because they were influenced by the FBI by, via Twitter 
um, saying that it's Russian disinformation and it's not a story. So now if they report on the Twitter files, what are they admitting tacitly or explicitly? They're admitting that they were duped by federal agents. (laughs) So they don't really have anywhere to turn here. They can't report on the content of the hard drive. If they do, I'm going to stunt on them, which I have every single time that one of them has kind of tried to creep out from under their rock to announce now that they've decided the laptop from hell is real. They always look like fools um, and they get called out for looking like fools. So option A and then option B is saying, um, yeah, I'm too stupid to be critical of the security state, which by the way, is my entire job. Um, so there they are. And then in terms of your second question about whether people should lawyer up, I mean, I don't know, to be honest, I'm like a low IQ journalist, um, who doesn't know anything about the law. This seems very illegal. It seems to violate the, like I said, the first amendment, the fifth amendment, the fourth amendment seems to be a huge problem, um, legally, but I don't really know what I'm talking about with regard to that. And anyway, I mean, how many times have we seen this movie where these people do these things that are like clearly sketch? probably illegal and then somehow justice falls on definitely not illegal four months delayed sentence that you're never actually going to serve tisk tisk and go off now and continue your work it was I mean, I live in the world <laughs> i think I, I, I my answer to that is a lot let's put it that way um an yeah. organized effort Right by representatives of the intelligence community aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies to smear factual and accurate stories based on a hard drive belonging to Hunter Biden, which the FBI had in his possession for almost a year. Let me go this route with you because it says senior executive at news and social media. We're talking about legacy news, to be clear here, NBC, ABC, CBS, that type thing. Right. Yeah. So are you, I think you're referring to a tweet that I wrote. Um, and and, uh, and this is in your article, um, uh, Twitter files, oh. lap time from hell. Okay. This from okay. your article. Right. Okay, cool. So yeah, right. So, okay. So this is in reference to um, a tweet that was in the Twitter files from yesterday um, where this was crazy. So basically, and this is also, it's a very familiar, very clever little game that these intelligence communities play and they, and it's like so delicious that this goes through. So listen to the characters of this. So, okay. <laughs> what they do is this. They leak something, leak something. They say something to an obedient press in the New York Times or the Washington Post. And um, then the Washington Post publishes it uncritically. Um, a, you know, they did this with Rudy, for instance. They'll say, sources say, sources familiar with the situation in the intelligence community say that Rudy Giuliani is a Russian agent. Okay, published in the New York Times or published in the Washington Post. This is now a headline and it's been cleared by their editors and it's now a matter of fact and a law of physics. Then what the FBI does is they take that article that they really wrote for all intents and purposes. They take that article back to Twitter and they say, look, Rudy Giuliani is a Russian agent. So what they do is they they decide on a story, they launder that story through the legacy media in order to give it credibility, and then they bring it back to the person who they're trying to use it to convince and say, look, it's true. The Washington Post wrote it. And that the best part of that, which is another reason why they can't report on this, is that they're being used by spies in order to commit operations. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, we know that these people will totally uncritically publish what we want 
And, um, and so we're going to them. And that's kind of fun because they accused me of that. And I was the opposite of that. I was super freaked out by this whole thing. And they had to present me with not only a federal subpoena to show that it was real and that law enforcement had it in their possession, but I was like, I was like going through that thing with like total skepticism. I was like, you guys are all liars. You all work for Trump. Get out of my life. Why are you doing this to me? I don't want to hear about it. Stop bothering me. And, you know, there was like this huge negotiation for me to just even consider it. And then the legacy media is like, oh, like she works for Rupert Murdoch. She's a Trump person. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm a 27-year-old journalist that's interested in having a career past 27. Um, and you guys actually are the ones who take information from these sketchy weirdos and publish it with absolutely zero critical examination. It's amazing. You had a subpoena yeah. when you were with the Post. Yes. But yet Jim Baker somehow, some way said that the materials in the Biden laptop were, and I'm quoting here, faked, hacked, or both. And you're sitting there with a subpoena. That's like I always say, I can tell everybody that I have hair. I, look at this. I got a full head of hair. I, you can say whatever the hell you want, right? Yeah, it's it's. don't believe your lying eyes. That's right. what Tim Baker was saying to himself because we published that subpoena. <laughs> and he would have known. I mean, this is like FBI guy. Like this is king of feds. He knew exactly what he was looking at. We published that subpoena. We took the reader exactly through the entire process that we went through in order to believe that this was real and worth publishing. You know, we didn't just like slap an email onto the New York Post website and say, hey, look, like Hunter's weird. Like, no, we, 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 first of all, very carefully worded what we said, which was we do not know. For, for instance, we said we don't know if this meeting took place for sure. We don't have a picture of the meeting, let's say, taking place or footage of it. But this is an email that shows that a colleague at Burisma on the board of Burisma with Hunter Biden was thanking him for a meeting with his father. That's what we published. And then we followed that by saying, this was obtained from a laptop purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden. And this is how we know that and why we believe that that's true. And part of that was that federal subpoena. Like I said, that 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 subpoena that was the thing that got me on the hook too, was like to at least be interested in this. And, and it's very convincing because it's a federal document. And we had our lawyers look at it and we even called cops to look at it. And and it's a real subpoena. So Jim Baker would have obviously had the wherewithal to know what that is. And then he's like, faked or but what are you talking about? So was the subpoena faked also? He like doesn't really specify which part was faked. So he thinks that News Corps went into a dark room and like and like fabricated a federal subpoena and published it. Is that what he's saying? A billion dollar news corporation that's an international news corporation that is uh, proprietors of Fox News, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post and OutKick um, that we all got together and made a fake subpoena. Is this guy like, I mean, if you're that crazy, like you need to be committed. You don't belong at Twitter. <laughs> you know, what are the, back to your point, and, and I think your point is very simply this, Jim Baker and these folks, they can't they can't plead ignorance like th that they didn't understand because these are actual federal agents that have done this their entire life. This has been what they well, have been about. It's like me not knowing how to log into WordPress. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Right. Of course, you knew what that was. Have you ever have you ever feared for your life? 
Like, not really. I, like, pretended to for, like, a week after I published the laptop from hell and, like, didn't go to restaurants for, like, three days. But then, even then, I was like, no, I want to go for brunch. Um, No, I've never been worried about it. I Listen, I never, I don't know. I I don't live in fear of death. It's inevitable. And when God decides it'll be, it'll be. And if I have to go by the hand of some sort of weird poison from the FBI or something, then, then, hey, I'll go out in in a... blaze of glory (laughs) you and i have very you you very publicly and i i joined you last time said neither of us are suicidal so whatever happens here there there's hey i want to go back to something um do you think based on what you're reading uh in the twitter files and i'm talking about from the get-go i'm talking about from you know the first release few weeks ago to now how much impact do you think that had on the election um, I think it moved the election. Obviously, I definitely think it moved the election. Um, there was there's been multiple polls showing that. There was a poll that showed that some 30% of Biden voters had never heard of the laptop from hell um when they cast their vote. And of that 30%, I think it was 15% of them would have changed their vote if they had known, obviously, that the president or the person who they wanted to be president had tens of millions of dollars of interest um in Ukraine. And in obviously our number one adversary, China. Um, yeah, yeah, I do think that it would have. And, and I think that they knew that. And listen, um, Jim Baker knew that. He wrote an email to them in December to the FBI, which was published yesterday. He wrote an email to them in December thanking them for all the help. Right. Scumbag. <laughs> right. Total scumbag. <laughs> is UL Roth, is, is he... Because he did push back a little bit at first, right? I mean, he wasn't just like, all right, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. Is there any integrity at all with him or any of the employees of Twitter that are involved in this? Is there even a sliver of honor? No. No. None. Because it's like you knew what you were doing. You knew, and this is what I tweeted in my in my thread yesterday. I, I published like you know, and I encourage everybody to go check it out. Like I published like a fifteen tweet thread yesterday after I published my news story on Breitbart, just with like some analysis, you know, that was coming to me as I was writing, and then I just kind of vomited it out on Twitter. And that was part of it. It was like this is a senior, this is a senior person who, a ought to have the wherewithal to know when he's being taken advantage of or when he's being used. I mean, he's in a very powerful position over communications of 30 million people, sorry, 300 million people, which is how many users Twitter has. Um, You know, you got to be aware that, you know, you're probably exposed to people who are going to try to take advantage of you, who are going to try to exert influence on you, either surreptitiously or aggressively. In this case, it was both. Um, You know, you want to be aware of that. You also would be probably aware of the hiring that goes on at the company that you're at a senior level in, where, as we learned yesterday, there was a a Slack channel, just a bureau alumni. Um, You know, they knew how many FBI agents they had. They knew who Jim Baker was. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like he just like woke up out of a coma and was like all of a sudden getting hustled by the FBI. And he's like, what's going on? And giving them all this. No. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's a full-grown man. I refuse to believe that he was just some some vulnerable person who was just taken advantage of by these big, powerful, mean people. I think what more most likely happened was that they were being approached by the FBI. They had 
obviously similar interests to the FBI in terms of outcome of politics. And also they didn't want to bother the FBI. They didn't want to push back on the FBI too hard because when you have the FBI, you know, when you're on the FBI's shit list, it's never fun. So, um, yeah, I, I think that he was kind of portrayed as a little bit of a victim um, and that he was kind of like groomed and cultivated. I'm sure some of that is true. You do see him pushing back. I don't buy that, you know, just on its face, though, because it's like, give me a break. This is a this is a person with a very powerful role. You have some responsibility in making sure that you're not exploited um, as like even I have that responsibility. I'm an editor and I get approached all the time by people who are paid to give me stories. So, oh, think- I, I was approached by this person and I, poor, I'm just an editor. Like what? It's like, no, I'm an editor. I have to be aware of the kinds of people that these are and be aware for the signs of that and not just take stories by people who are planting them on me. It's like, this is, this is a ridiculous conversation. We're not talking about a five-year-old getting lured into an ice cream truck. Do you think they knew the power they had and couldn't wait to exert the power they had? And it was a little bit of a game to them, uh, children, that all of a sudden, look at us. Uh, the FBI's talking to us. Look at us. We can swing and elect. Look at us. That kind of a thing, kind of an immaturity. Well, that's, yeah, like I th- maybe. Um, I definitely think that they started to realize how much power they really had. And you can see, like, in, in some of the earlier Twitter files, like, yeah. Yul Roth is bragging about, you know, his meetings with these, definitely not the FBI, but he says it like really exaggerated yes. tongue in cheek. Like he's like, he's boasting, you know, I'm cool. I'm, I have top secret security clearance, which we learned that he had now. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think that there was flattery involved in working with these agents. Um, I think that they made them feel very powerful. Um, I think they reinforced the, this like ego thing where it's like you have all this control and you have control over even elections and let's work together, you know. Um, and I also think that Twitter wanted to have some sort of partnership, obviously, on some level with these security um, agencies. You know, why did you hire 80 FBI agents otherwise? You know what? You, you know what is amazing, and I'm going to go back to something that you said earlier about uh, Jim Baker sending a note of thanks in December mm-hmm. to FBI. It's amazing how comfortable everybody got with one another doing this. Yeah, Matt Taibbi, one of the journalists who's been handling the Twitter files, called it a big happy family, and I yes. so see that dynamic. That's exactly perfectly right. That's exactly what it was, and that's why you have. Uh, they're trading employees. They're going back and forth. They're working together. Oh yeah, t- kick him some security clearance. It's like what? And, <laughs> and, and they're like best friends. Like it's and and the part that's the worst part of all this. I was on Breitbart Radio talking about this this morning, and this is the part that actually is the kicker: is that Twitter is really known for its proliferation of child porn and footage of child abuse. And, you know, on the one hand, you almost might say like, oh, like a platform like that that has all of these um, like smut things on it. Like you would want maybe like cops monitoring that. Um, But Twitter is the most prolific disseminator of child porn still. And they had all of these like they, they they weren't bothered with that. That was th- whatever. That's somebody else's job, not the FBI's. What the FBI's job is, is censoring the New York Post. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right? Two questions. And <laughs> one, how much money based on this particular, you know, the Biden laptop, the laptop from hell, how much money do you think the Biden family made 
in in the stuff that you know you've seen, how much money you think they've made, and three to five years from from now, what shakes out with with what's going on right now? Where are we at three to five years with this? From everything we know between Peter Schweitzer's reporting, the Senate report that they put out on Hunter and the Biden family, and what's on the laptop, you're looking at about 35 million. Jesus. And that's just, sorry, that's just from China. That just from China. Mm-hmm. 35 million. Yeah. And then we know about 10 million, or sorry, we know about 5 million from Russia. From the from the widow of the former mayor of Moscow, which is still unexplained about what the service rendered for that was, um, and then Burisma was eighty thousand a month. So do the math, fifty million ish. Um, maybe Hunter Biden is the smartest guy ever, according to Joe Biden. Well, he definitely is a deal maker. But to be honest, I mean, the foreign policy of the most powerful nation on earth with the most powerful military on earth, bar none. Could have got 200 mil. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like you're selling wow. American foreign policy to China for 30. That's like, that's bargain bin. That's bargain bin. We could probably take them. That's really low. <laughs> what do you think? Jeez. What do you, th- what do you think happens three to five years from now? Is this all forgotten? Is, is somebody in jail? Does this become Watergate? Uh, what, 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 what happens? Um, it's hard to know, to be honest, it's hard to know because I think the best thing that can come of this, honestly, is like, you don't need the shock and awe per se, although it's fun. And especially as a member of the media, that's definitely fun and the jumpsuits and whatever. I don't think that we're getting jumpsuits, but maybe some shock and awe would be good. But to be honest, like, and this is what I've been saying all all along. And whenever I'm approached by people who know anything or have any power, I, I say the same thing. It's like the Clintons really started the the idea of like renting American foreign policy to the highest bidder, you know, and then the Bidens and and there's so many of these people. I mean, Peter Schweitzer has written multiple New York Times bestsellers all on this topic exactly of of people in the swamp selling selling access, you know. So the Clintons made that blueprint, and then everybody kind of has their own iteration of it in Washington, or, or many do. Um, and the Bidens are just another one of those. And and now he happens to be the president of the United States, but. Um, I think that the best thing that can really happen from this, and I do think that that's possible, at least in some measure, is to get some regulation, get our arms around this problem some way and prevent, like, stop it. Like, this is the most, like, that's the thing that's, that's the point of all of this is that this really insults the American people and the American taxpayer, the person who's watching this show who, like, works, you know, and, right. like, earns money honestly, and then, like, has to take a piece of that paycheck and and give it over to the government and and they'll do that you know because they're patriotic and they understand you know that they have to give to their communities sometimes <laughs> i resent that personally but i understand why i have to do it you know and all all you got to do is not exploit them not that big of a deal just make sure that they're not exploited seems reasonable and that's something that i hope that we can get out of this it's like after all of this you know i hope that we can maybe you know get a rule that as trump proposed actually to his credit um just last week you know have have a 7 year buffer period between the time that you're a spy and the time that you can go work for a communication company like a social media platform seems reasonable let's make that a law you know have a rule that if you have a blood relationship with somebody in washington who is in the federal government that you're not allowed to do business with like i don't know let's keep it to just our number one enemy Reasonable? Maybe. Probably, I would think. 
You know, if we get those two things, which I think are probably reasonable and would have prevented all of this in the first place, I think that everybody wins. Um, and I don't think that those are big asks. So, you know, shock and awe and fireworks are fun, you know, drag these people before Congress and, you know, crank the heat up and let's go and we'll have this great televised thing and I'll have fun writing about it. But really, at the end of it, I hope that we can stop this disgusting behavior that really just mocks um, honest people in this country um, for good. Stop it. I've never, ever thought about hating paying taxes other than when I'm writing the check, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. crap. But now I hate, I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I got no choice. I got to pay tax. I don't want to be in a jumpsuit. I, I, you know, but honest to God, to your point that you just said, I'm sitting there going, God, do I not want to pay taxes to these idiots? I, well, they, I've had they enough. Use three, they use $3 million plus of your tax dollars to pay Twitter for their time. Right. <laughs> and not even worry about, as you said, child pornography or anything. I mean, it, 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 to cover <laughs> up, basically, to pay Twitter for your time, to cover up something that should not be covered up, that should be exposed, if we gave a rat's ass about the people of the United States and not whatever words you want to use, oligarchy, whatever the hell words you want to use. Yeah, that's, that's the really upsetting thing is that's kind of the takeaway from all of this. Like when you really like just peel it back and you get to like, what's the, like the, the like takeaway is that they don't, they do not care about you. They don't care about your safety. They don't care about your respect. They don't care about your trust. All of this runs just so counter to that in such an extreme way that you have to obviously gather from it that these people are really just, just like like barnacles, like leeches on the American taxpayer. Um, and, and they're abusive, to be honest. This is total abuse of the American taxpayer, of the American people, and of the Constitution. It's disgusting. And uh, yeah, like I hope we get like some basic, just basic things out of this. Like don't do that again. And, and if you do, you're going to jail. That's all. Man, uh, my mother would say that to me, and then my father would smack me in the backside. Say, "Okay, all right." The smack, the smack meant more than the, yeah. you know, than the don't, don't do get, it. So maybe somebody needs to have themselves smacked. Let's. Yeah, you don't get boomer parenting these days anymore, and it's a real <laughs> shame. I'm sure we can use a lot of that at the FBI. <laughs> it's a damn shame, woman. It's a damn shame. I'll <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a great half hour. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're Later. Awesome. Emma Joe Morris, man. Follow her right now. Do yourself a favor. If she writes it, you got to read it. If she tweets it, you got to read it. I'm telling you. I, I'm sitting here and, you know, I've never missed. I pay tax two times. I pay corporation before the end of the year and I pay freaking personal. Uh, all right, we come back. I got my five top, top college basketball player of the year candidate. You're not going to like some of them. Ah, that's all right. You'll be all right. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. I love that woman. I, I love that woman. I'm sorry. I love that woman. I think that is an absolute 
wonderful, patriotic human being. I love that woman. I'd have her on every day. I'm serious. I think she's great. I think she is so spectacular, interesting, fun, funny, smart alecky. Emma Jo Morris, go give her a follow. Uh, man, uh, it, incredible. Uh, seriously, I mean, just absolutely incredible. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. Now, earlier I told you when we talked about the NFL and the MVP, about three weeks in, everybody was talking about who's going to be the MVP, who's going to do this, who's going to be do that, and I told you it's too early. And now we're talking about it. We're talking about Jalen Hurts being the MVP of the league. Well, in college basketball, there's basically different times of year. You have the early tournament time. Then you have the preseason time, which we're getting to the end of. And then, ladies and gentlemen, after, you know, on or about the first of the year, we're going to have the conference season open up in earnest. Sure, we've had some conference tournaments uh, playing. We did. We've had some, I'm sorry, some conference games playing. But really, it gets going in earnest right now. And one of the things that I like to do is say, all right, who are our conference or who are our national player of the year candidates as we end this first segment? Now, a couple surprise teams. I think Purdue has to be a surprise team. I mean, you're talking about the fastest team ever to go from unranked to number one in the country. UConn surprise team. Danny Hurley and his bunch have done an amazing job. Now, Danny Hurley is a tough coach. Danny Hurley will get after his players. Danny Hurley will do all of those things. But, man, his players don't like to leave him. They like hanging around Stores, Connecticut, and playing for him. And he has done an absolute fantastic, fantastic job. All right. Player of the year leader might be easy, but the five guys leading up, not so easy. And I'm going to give you five that I see. The fifth is Jaime Jaquez of UCLA. UCLA is having a good year. They're 10 and 2, which by any other school is a good year. 10 and 2, you make yourself available for the Hall of Fame if you can maintain going 10 and 2. Now, this is a little bit for me, just a little bit of a homer pick. Those of you that know me know that Jaime Jaquez and his family, well, they stayed with us when the NCAA tournament was in Indianapolis for the entire tournament. They stayed uh, with me and my family, his dad, his sisters, his cousins, all of them, because my wife was the coach of Jaime Jaquez's aunt. Does that make sense? So they didn't want to spend a ton of money on a hotel over the course of a couple weeks, so they stayed with us. We had a blast. It was all good. But Jaime Jaquez is doing a lot of really good things. First, he's averaging about 17.5 points a game, six rebounds, two and a half assists. But here's what he's also doing. I was watching him the other day throttle. I mean throttle Maryland. I mean beat the living crap out of Maryland. I mean beat him like uh, I'm not even going to say because I'll get in trouble. Here's what I saw. Jaime Jaquez did a bunch of stuff, scored points, all that kind of stuff. But what he really did, I'm watching going, man, that dude is guarding. He's guarding multiple places. He's helped defense. He's talking. He's leading. UCLA has a leader. I've been all over Indiana basketball. I don't think there's much leadership there. But I got to tell you, man, Jaime Hawkins and UCLA, I sat there and I couldn't take my eyes off. I literally couldn't do it. 
I'm watching going, dang, that's a bad man. That's a real bad man. He's doing everything. Player of the year, 10 and 2. If they were 2 and 10, he wouldn't be player of the year, at least a candidate for me. But I got to tell you, watching him, man, oh, man. Yo, yo, Dan, E-boy. Nick Chaplin, where is my shout out? There you go. All right, number four, Brandon Miller of Alabama. All right, Brandon Miller at Alabama is, wow, a freshman. Alabama, 36 points against Gonzaga. I want to say that again, a freshman. 36 against Gonzaga, 24, 24 against Memphis. Now, I don't know if Penny Hardaway's greatest coach in college basketball, the worst coach in college basketball, and personally, I don't care. But what I will say is this, his teams play defense. And this freshman kid is must-see TV. He is 20 points a game, a little bit above. Eight rebounds a game, two and a half blocks a game. They're nine and two, lost to UConn and lost to Gonzaga, even though he had 36 points. And I'm sitting there watching him the other day, and I'm like, my God. Look, I understand that seven foot 20 kid, uh, Victor, whatever his name is, is the number one pick in the draft, and everybody's going to lose their mind over him. But I got to tell you, man, Brandon Smith, Brandon Smith, um, Mm. That dude can ball. That dude can really ball. If you get a chance, look, Nate Oates is a really good coach. I called him out last year because he acted like a fool, but that's all right. Hell, people call me out when I act like a damn fool. We get it. It's okay. But this kid is worth the price of admission. He is literally that kind of good. I mean, literally. All right. Number three. He's probably going to be either 1 or 1A one when it's done, and that's Drew Timmy out of Gonzaga. Now, Drew Timmy's 172 years old. Drew Timmy is the kind of guy that everybody wants on their team. He is the kind of guy, he and Trace Jackson Davis, that the NIL was built for. What am I ta- What do I mean by that? Two really good players. Now, Jackson Davis is not on my list here, but two really good players that are playing in high-leverage basketball environments that, quite frankly, are making a ton of money staying in school. So Drew Timmy is staying in school. He stayed in school. He's making a ton of green, and he's balling. Now, he only had eight in a loss to Alabama, but that's all right. I'm sorry, Baylor. They're sitting there nine and three. They played the toughest schedule in the country. The dude is averaging 21, eight, three assists, had 27 against Alabama. I don't know what more you want a kid to do. Now, he's also got a pretty good podcast called like Timmy Time, which everybody tells me is fantastic. So when you combine being a hell of a player, he's 72 years old. So my guess is he doesn't have to do any classes other than some online. He's making a ton of money. He's got himself a podcast. He's going to be popular, probably a first-round pick. He'll go to camp, play 10 years as the big white guy off the bench for somebody. I mean, what do you want me to do? The kid's got a great life. And he went to Gonzaga where you can get long hair, a headband, 
uh, a Fu Manchu and you're accepted as one of ours. It's genius. It is genius. People are asking, should they let F Ghetto One back on our chat? Yes, let F Ghetto One back on the chat. I don't know who that is, but you better behave on these chats, pal. You better behave. Oh, behave. All right. Number two. Number two is a guy I'd never heard of. I'm going to tell you, if you'd have asked me two or three weeks ago, number two would have been Trace Jackson Davis. Number two is no longer Trace Jackson Davis. Trace Jackson Davis will be back in the mix once my beloved Indiana Hoosiers get back in the thick ankle games and they play against all the thick ankle guys in the Big Ten, as my friend Rob Lemley from ESPN used to say. Too many thick ankles in the Big Ten. What that means is too many slow guys, too many unathletic guys, which is why the Big Ten never wins the national championship. Yes, I have spoken, ladies and gentlemen. The YouTube chat is pumping. We got 300 people on it. Boom. All right. Adama Sanogo, UConn. I'm watching. I'm saying to myself, hold on here. Uh, really good. No, not kind of good. Really good. Now, you got to understand something about Adama Sanoga. He is being coached harder than anybody in the country. Most coaches, and I include uh, basically anybody you want, uh, are soft as hell. And it is interesting that the two guys, the two guys that I'm going to have as the second in player of the year, this guy here, Sonoga, and the number one, I can't give it to you yet, are both being coached by guys that very matter-of-factly go about the business of coaching their team. They go about the business of being accountable, making everybody around them accountable. And in fact, oh my God, the horror, wait for it, wait for it. They actually yell at players. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. They raise their voice at players. This cannot happen. What are we talking about? Uh, no, please say it didn't happen. So here's my man, Sanogo. I should have known him, but I didn't pay much attention to college basketball last year. What did I care? He averaged 15 last year for UConn. This year, let's go through what he's doing, all right? He's shooting 62% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line. He is six foot nine, 245 pounds. His team is undefeated. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think that when your team is this good uh, and 12 and 0, and you are putting up 19, 8, three blocks, two blocks, you deserve a little credit. And you're taking Danny Hurley's nonsense, which isn't nonsense. Danny Hurley is a great coach. He takes after his father, the legendary St. Anthony's coach, Bob Hurley. Danny was a good player at Seton Hall, not as good or as claimed as his brother Bobby at Arizona State, who, by the way, is doing a very good job at Arizona State. But Danny is one of those guys that has the unique ability 
to be tough on people and yet get them to like the work. That's what he does. He's tough on them. He's hard, but they don't quit. They don't leave. And somehow, some way, he gets them to like the work. Tell you who else does that, Matt Painter. I got to tell you, the number one player in the country right now, and I'm not sure it's even close, is Zach Eady. What does my man Seth Greenberg call Zach Eady or Isaac Haas? A mountain masquerading as a man. Well, Zach Eady is only dropping, I don't know, 23, 14, two and a half blocks. He's got four straight. Listen to this. He's got four straight 16 or more rebound games. You thought I was going to say points. Nay, nay, man, Nook. Au contraire. No. He has six or four straight 16 or more rebounds. Back in the day, way back in the day, it used to be, ladies and gentlemen, Walt Bellamy had 28 rebounds. Like, you know, uh, Lou Alcindor had 32 points, 17 rebounds. You know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. All I know is we're kind of going back to those days. We're kind of getting back. We're big dude. We've had 20 rebound games. Armando Baycott is getting like, I don't know, 18 and 16 rebounds. I mean, he's playing better. But nobody this year has had the impact on college basketball than Zach Eady has. It's kind of fascinating. Like when you were a kid, all right, when you were a kid and you played basketball and the other team had this real big kid and you're like trying to guard him, right? And he just, you know, does all that kind of stuff. That's what Zach Eady is. I was watching him against Davidson. And Davidson had, you know, they're not little, but they're not big, big. And I'm telling you, my man, he was just like trying not to hurt anybody. But the kid would be a basketball player even if he wasn't seven foot four. Now, I want you to think about that. Shaquille O'Neal would never have been a basketball player unless he was, you know, however big Shaquille O'Neal is. Lou Alcindor would have been. Bill Walton would have been. Who else? Uh, Anthony Davis would have been. You know, of the big guys now, most would have been because big guys now got to shoot it. But Zach Eady can move. He was a pitcher in baseball, seems to have a great mind for everything. He's fantastic. So he right now is the player of the year. Here's the deal with Purdue. Now, Dave Renard, I'll take Braden Smith over Jaden Ivey all day. Don't at me. We shall see. But I, I would like to have them both. But Braden Smith, the point guard, is very good. Jay Nivey was a top five, top 10 pick in the NBA draft. So I don't exactly know. I'm just saying to you, be careful with that kind of stuff. One of the amazing things when you look at Purdue, Travion Williams gone, Jaden Ivey gone, Sasha Stefanovic gone, and look at Purdue. It's what makes me crazy about Indiana. So it makes me insane about my Indiana who's insane. Woodson yesterday was talking about, well, you know, I love these fans. Well, if you love the fans, get to work. That's them. Get the freaking work. I mean, be a good team. Dan, you got to give him time. I'll give him all the time he needs. I'll give him all the time he needs. But I got to tell you, uh, Jennifer, you'll concur with this. Get to work. Get us an offense. Get us a system of play. Recruit some Indiana kids that know how to play. I don't know. 
drives me nuts. I see Purdue. I see them keep winning. I love the way they play. And then I watch Indiana, and I'm like, well, they stand around. Yes, Damon Bailey, Van Pasterman, would have been an NBA player if he were six foot eight. All right, let's go to the Woka Dope, if you don't mind. And let's have the Willie McGinnis uh, video ready again, because I got I to gotta show it again. Woke a dope right now. Families with two cars. This is so ridiculous. Keep that up for a minute, will you, please? This is so ridiculous. Like, on one hand, um, the president doesn't influence oil, gas prices. On the other hand, when they do, we take credit for it. Will somebody explain this to me right now? Families with two cars driving home for the holidays are saving 200 a month on gas compared to mid-June's peaks. That's great. That's really good. And I will give credit where credit is due. The gas prices are down from mid-June. But there's still over a dollar and a bunch more than when you took office. So I'm all for you. I want you. i glad for you. Look. Here's the deal. I want everybody to understand this. People think, well, you're on outkick. You're a conservative by nature. I'm not nothing but common sense. I've said this. If Biden, and good for him, I saw it. Hey, we drove out to uh, Philadelphia for the Army-Navy game, and we did save money. Look, keep gas prices down. I don't want to hear the word inflation and the stock market going, and we're in business. I don't care if the president is libertarian. I don't care if the president is Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter to me. But if you do that, then I am all in on it. People say, well, Dan, you're not giving credit where credit is due. Gas prices are down. I'm in, man. I am all in on it. Yes. Please. I don't, again, I don't care. Just don't be Jimmy Carter. Now, get going with some stocks. Get going with our 401ks. If you got this grand plan, then let's see it. Let's continue riding it. I mean, what are we going to do? All right. I want to circle back. I want to end the show how we started. Here's the deal. Um, this is, let's show the video of Willie McGinnis, three-time Pro Bowler, national or Super Bowl champion, walking into a restaurant. There he is. He's walking into the restaurant. Bar. I don't know what this is. It looks like a nice place. All of a sudden, boom! He decides, for whatever the reason, he is going to smack somebody. He's going to smack, and then his cowardly buddies all start smacking this same guy. Dude just sitting there, and beer bottle hit over his head. Uh, craziness ensues. I mean, I don't get any of it. And then the people around are sitting there and they got to deal with this idiot. What makes somebody think that they can just walk into a restaurant, start a brawl, knock people over, knock things over, smack a guy in the head? What makes somebody think that they can do that. Will you please explain this to me, YouTube chat. Connie Harris, please explain it to me. I don't get it. 
Um, it's like, what makes somebody think that they can go ahead and just shoot up places? What makes somebody think they can drive down the street, pull a gun, and carjack? We live in a world of lawlessness. We really do. We live in a world where we just think we can do whatever we want. Every day we pay attention to it. Every day we see it. If you're on social media, every day. Two idiots jump somebody. Somebody takes a sledgehammer to hit somebody. Willie McGinnis, Pro Bowl guy. Uh, Chris Beard hits his wife or girlfriend, whatever it is. I mean, honest to God. Connie Harris, I'm with you. There is absolutely no, no explanation for that right there. None. Zero. But we see it every freaking day. Every day, guy walking down the street gets hit with a sledgehammer. What? Man. And don't try to, do not try to tell me that, well, you know, an NFL player, he's got all this pent-up rage. Shut up. Shut up. No. Mm -mm. That ain't it. That ain't nothing to do with it. There's nothing there about pent-up rage. This is simply a guy that's a coward going in to settle, apparently, a score. Now, I can't wait. I didn't see anything this morning on Get Up or any of these deals. I can't wait to hear the excuses. We always hear the excuses, don't we? Boy, do we get excuses. Well, you know, this happened. Well, you know, that. Well, you know. No, I don't know. Somebody, please explain it to me. Will you please? I'll listen. I'll listen to everyone. Uh, guy says, let's read a few tweets real quick, all right? I got some guy mad at me because I am, quote, a political hack now. I don't think I'm a political hack. I just like talking about stuff. Dan, I told you this political schlep would wear thin. Yet again, you know butt kiss about politics, but you're brilliant at sports. Do sports. Leave to other Trump-loving fools. That's from Andre Arnold. Okay, Andre Arnold. Well, I disagree. I think my reach needs to extend even farther. I think this show needs its own slot about three in the morning on Fox News. I think that would be very good. No, I know nothing about nothing, but I speak very well. Look, here we go. Jaheem Miller, Christiana Clark, and Jocelyn Johnson charged with murder in Tuxedo Park here in Indy. What are we doing? Like, in our world, we have become lawless, and we've got to stop being lawless. We've got to start being lawful. We don't need 80 new armed IRS agents. We need 80 new armed police officers in every freaking city in America. That's what the hell we need. I'll tell you what else, <coughs> I'll tell you what else we need. We need more of me. This was a hell of a show. And I got to do some thanking here. I got to do some unbelievable thanking to all of our people that are on the YouTube chat. Are you kidding me? This YouTube chat with Cashman, Brandon, Connie, Dave, Ray, uh, Don't Hit Me Willie, Ed B, F Ghetto One, Fred Haviland, Hatbox Ghost, Jennifer, King Guts, Marby Dog, Mike Hawk. You got me. You got me, okay? You got me. What do you want me to tell you? Nick Chaplin, the Outkick Boys, Ron Richardson, Spice Rack, Ross Brunel, 
Guys are freaking awesome. My East Coast office. Listen to this. The Colts are trying. Colts are trying hard. Monday night football, Jimmy Ayers say. It's a blue out with blue color rush uniforms. And fans can participate in the Colts light show during player introductions and at halftime with the cheerleaders and Colts drumline. Download the app. How about you throw in some keychains and a pennant? Hey, we got keychains and a koozie. I loved. I didn't like it. I got to tell you. I loved, I loved, I loved having Mike Lombardi on today. Mike Lombardi is one of my favorites, man. He brought it today, and he brought it today strong. Emma Joe Morris, do yourself a favor. You didn't know Emma Joe Morris. Now you know Emma Joe Morris. Do yourself a favor. Follow Emma. Read Emma. Do everything you can to get more information from Emma Joe Morris. Period. Period. Today on Twitter, I will have at Dan Dockage, and I'll put it on Don't At Me as well. I will, ladies and gentlemen, Tanner, Tanner Hall, Ryan Mueller, thanks for joining. Nick Cardolo. I will have a couple bets. I'm on fire. Last night, I hit a nice, sassy little parlay. Uh, tough weekend, but now I hit a good one. So, anyway, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Dylan. You are the man. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Haley, for getting Emma Joe. Doc, it's out. I'm going to the beach, baby. I'm in Naples. See you tomorrow.